Hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst and I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. And today we are starting a brand new series. Kicking it off is Nathan McWhorter. The series is called Cross Equals Love, and we have done this series a couple different years now as we lead up to Easter, and we want to get this message out, this image out, a uh, very simple image of the cross equals love, and you're going to see this if you're in the Canton area, you're going to see it on our building, um, in t-shirts, on uh, on masks even, for those of you who come in person, but also for those of you who only engage with us online, digitally, uh, you can go to easterlife.com to check out more information about that. Uh, we just want to get this message out, that, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is an actual act of love, and we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be going through 1 John chapter 3 for the whole duration of this series. It's this whole idea about how love is actually practiced, uh, how you live this out in everyday life, in churches, um, in your workplace, at home, um, and what love actually is in the light of who God is and what God did in Christ. And so uh, I hope you enjoy this. Um, Also want to let you know that you can subscribe to this podcast to get regular updates. You can give if you would like to give and be generous to Life Church by going to lifechurchcanton.org slash give. Um, And then also for those of you who do come in person and buy a mask, if you buy a mask, we're going to give one away to somebody who might be new and fills out a connect card with us. And they could do, they could fill out a connect card either in person or online. So I want to let you know about that information as well. I have been talking far too long. I want to get you to the message. This is Pastor Nathan with Cross Equals Love, uh, kicking us off. Man, that's good stuff. Don't worry, we're going to do it again at the end. I'm so glad you guys are here. My name's Nathan. Welcome to Cross Equals Love. You can have a seat. Man, I am excited to be here. It's one of my favorite things to do every year because it reminds us. It reminds us and keeps in the front of our mind why we exist, to share a story, a story that's uh, been around for a while, but is one of the most important things. In fact, it is the most important thing about your life. This symbol, the cross equals love, is something that is extremely important to us. It means something. And I hope today that it reignites inside of you the joy of what it means to know Jesus and his love for us. It's the guiding principle of our Christian walk and always has been. In fact, it's the most powerful symbol of love in all of human history is the cross. That doesn't make sense if you think about it. The cross is an instrument of torture, an instrument of hurt and pain and suffering and shame. And yet, because the power of Jesus, it means love Because for us, it means the payment of our sins. It means new life, life eternal, and something incredible. Yeah, that's good stuff. Now, we've done this. This is our third year here doing it, but I've been preaching in this series for around six years. And uh, someone says, does it ever get old? When are you going to stop doing it? I'm like, I don't know, when, when the cross stops being important. <laughs> like, it's something I love. And I wanted to share some of my favorite um, moments from it. First, we talked about the love of God is patient kindness, and it transforms the world. Jesus must be lifted up on the cross and in your life for all to see. 
That Jesus breaks all barriers, overcomes brokenness with sacrifice, and overcomes any circumstance with power. Jesus' death meant our life. His resurrection meant our victory. And now, nothing can separate us from his love. And my favorite one, Jesus is always more than you think he is. And so with that, I would like us to jump into this series about sharing this symbol right away. So online, in person, I want you to get your phone out right now. I'm dead serious. Get your phone out. I want us to share on Facebook. And the, what I want you to put on Facebook, you can share this link if you'd like to this video currently. If you're watching on your TV at home, I know you've got a smartphone with you, pull it out. And then I want to put this line back up there. The most powerful symbol of love in all of human history is the cross. Write that in it and then share that with people. If you could put that on there and leave that up for a while. And I know that's going to take you a moment. So I'm going to tell you a story about a time before um, uh, when I shared this story. I was in a sauna back when we could still do that and I was with a bunch of people in the room and, and we were doing this series and we had these wristbands and we were handing them out. And so I had them on and I had just gotten done working out and I was in the sauna and I'm sweating while I'm wearing this and there's a man in there and he sees it and he starts talking to me about what it means. And I start talking to him about new life. And you could just see his eyes light up as he got excited about this idea of new life, which he had never heard it talked about this way. And so we both ended up walking out of the sauna at the same time and we're sweaty. You know what I'm talking about? Just dripping sweat. And uh, I take this wristband off thinking there's no way that he would want this sweaty, you know, probably pandemic field if it was today. <laughs> like, and I just said, hey, man, do you want it? Because that's what we did. We gave these away. Um, and he goes, yes, I want it. He grabs it. And not even just with like two fingers. The man grabs it and slaps it on his wrist and says, I'm not taking this off. And I'm like, well, maybe wash it. Like, like <laughs> but hopefully you've had enough time to share this. Because that's what this season is about. And though we might not be doing wristbands this year, we might be wearing masks and doing other things. We need to share this story. But I want for you to experience the love of God in a fresh way today, a way that empowers you to invite others to experience God, to take that moment, maybe even with a stranger, to express to them the love of Jesus for them. This series actually focuses in our first three code statements. If you're in the room, they're on the wall. It's 654 in the room, and I'll show them on the screen for those of us online. But this is what we're going to focus in. First, you belong. You belong. Through this series, we're trying to communicate to people that they belong, no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through. You belong to God, and so you belong to us. And as you find this sense of belonging, you get to encounter Jesus. That's our second one, encountering Jesus. When we encounter Jesus, we're transformed. We're going to see that in our scripture today. You're changed. Something is new. And finally, the relentless pursuit of one more. We will always seek out one more person for Jesus, one more person to experience this hope. So we're going to dive into these series. And these codes, they're just nice pictures on a wall or just something we talk about unless we do something about it. Well, guess what? We already have. We've already shared with each other um, this hope that we have found and shared with Facebook and continue to do that. Now, I want to dive into 1 John. The author of the, uh, the, author of the Gospel of John, um, he wrote letters as well. So he wrote a biography of Jesus' life, which he was with him, and then he wrote three letters to churches later, and we're going to be focusing on the first letter, 1 John. 
Now, he wrote this because after the church had started, there were people leaving the church. They were running away and had left and were trying to draw other people with them. And it was all based on this understanding that they believed Jesus was not God, was not God. And if that sounds familiar, it's because in our last series, Hidden Figures, we talked about this fight for the next 300 years about the deity of Jesus. And if you want to learn more about that, you should check it out. It's incredible. Um, It's all online, and you can uh, learn more about that early church fight over this. But this started in 1 John. He's already having to deal with this. In chapters 1 and 2 in this letter, the author wrote that God is light. God is pure light. He's righteous and holy. And right before where we dive in today, He wrote that eternal life and this holiness is only found in Jesus. This series will be focused exclusively on 1 John 3, and we're going to walk through it together. 1 John 3, 1, the first half of it. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. How great the love of the Father that he has lavished on us. What a word. This great means incredible quality, surpassing excellence. John, the author, is taking our human understanding and experiencing experience of love, and he's trying to awaken us to something greater. He's saying, no, it's better than you have ever experienced As we grow as humans, we experience an awakening of more and more love. What do you mean? Well, the love we feel as a baby from our parents is very different than the love we experience as a five-year-old. And as we understand the sacrifice and the work and the money and what it takes to be raised, as we start to understand that as children, we understand that love is sacrificial. Our experience of love grows. Through friendships and romantic love, our understanding of love grows. The love you feel on your wedding day is something unique but very different than the love you feel 10 years later or 40, I'm assuming. And this is something that we get to experience more of is love. Now, there's a lot of things that get in the way of that, but we are invited to this deeper and deeper understanding. This is what it means to follow Jesus, to experience his love in deeper ways. That love of holding a child, that love of serving someone for years or being served, those things are incredible. God is not just trying to show us a new awakening of love. He's inviting us to participate in it. That's what it means to relentlessly pursue one more, is to participate in this love. But he didn't just give us a gift of love. He gave us himself because he is love. Going back to that scripture, it says that we should be called children of God. Your identity, who you are, you are a child of God. If you follow Jesus, you are a child of God. It is a reality because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. This gift of love, this act of grace, something we didn't deserve, that he paid for our debts by dying and taking it on himself, This means we are and will always be children of God. That's lavish love. 
We deserve to be a slave to sin, but now we have a new master, just like we sang about, the Savior. He healed my heart. He changed my name. I thank God. Hopefully you're thanking God in your heart. But he adopted us as children. He tells us to become like children, his children. This powerful relational dynamic is crucial to understanding our identity, who we are. We are children of God. We love the innocent nature of children, don't we? We value sheltering them from shame and fear and hurt in this world. There's something innocent and beautiful. And though it's not always possible, we see value and treasure the shamelessness found in children They just don't care. My kids just love running around naked. They don't care. They don't have all these hang-ups. They love dancing. They love singing and making jokes that are not funny. Like, they love building and creating, and there's a shamelessness and joy, and that's why we love children. Why? Because in some ways, we've lost that. And so we protect, and though it can't always protect every child, it is something that is beautiful, and that is why God is communicating to us we are his children. Not only that, my children come to me for comfort, to be regular. When their their emotions are high, they come to me and I hold them and they leave everything with me most of the time and then walk away and they're fine. Our heavenly father is inviting us to be like those children who come to him when we are out of our mind and then just give it to him and walk back into our day regulated and full of love and experience. Does that sound good? My question, first question, do you experience the comfort of God as the Father? Have you thought about that? Do you do that? Do you seek him out? You can answer online or in person or maybe even take a note now. Do, do you do that? Don't just answer that. Think about that. What does that feel like? What is that experience like? Now, here's the other part. It isn't just something that God says so that we can understand our relationship with him. It is actually a title. Child means techna, a title of power. It's a title that means something. Now, I'm the the lead pastor here. That's a title. It has weight. It's a title that's given to those who lead churches. And for a time, that is what they do and to some degree what they are. But this title, this title, Tecna, child, is a title given in, in recognition of what we already are. It's not something that, you know, it's a lead pastor someday. I won't be the lead pastor anymore, whether it's because I, I get old or die or whatever. I don't know. But, but I will always and you will always be child of God. But that title comes with incredible privilege. Galatians 4, 7. This is one of my favorite verses. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. He's made you also an heir. You get to experience the kingdom of God. This title and this reality means you have an inheritance, much like a prince who was lost for years being found and given a title and crowned in glory. That is who we are. We do not deserve it, and yet Jesus came so that you could inherit and share in his glory. What lavish love. 
I want you to be overcome by the love and wonder of our identity as children. That's what I want for you today. I want you to experience this and have joy and thank God because of it. But nothing will get in the way of this feeling more than our brokenness, our fear, and our shame and keep us from diving into this truth and from sharing this truth because we're wrapped up in stuff that's going on inside of us. This world is full of shame. You know what that feels like? Shame causes physical and mental anguish. It leads to high blood pressure, anxiety, panic attacks, depression. We can measure this shame. And when exposed to shame and stress for long periods of time, it actually speeds up the process of aging and how our genes express themselves. You know, our physical bodies can't handle shame. It fractures our psyche. Shame is not only hurting us physically, it does it by destroying our identity and wrecking community. Now, what is your identity? Child of God. What is your identity? I want to try it again. This side didn't do it as great, and I couldn't hear you online. I, I just couldn't hear you from, from here. So try to shout at me through the screen. What is your identity? That's good. This side's still winning. I'm just, you know, it's okay. You'll get there. That's our identity. But shame actively destroys our identity. Let's go back into 1 John. So we just finished saying, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. But the reason the world does not know us is that it does not know him. Now, this is an important point. The world does not recognize Jesus, does not recognize what he represents. The world does not recognize truth. They can't comprehend it without him. And this directly affects the world's ability to overcome this feeling of shame. Now, I've said shame a lot, but what is shame? It's a painful feeling of humiliation and distress by, caused by a consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. It's a response to behavior. It's a response to what we do or what we aren't doing, and we feel pain because of it. But when people experience shame, it destroys their identity. It doesn't lead them to a good place, and it breaks relationships. It just does that over and over again. Shame, it tries to force us forever into isolation and to darkness. Shame causes us to pull away from being fully known and healing. Now, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says, I did wrong Shame says, I am wrong. Shame is very hard to talk about. Now, shame results in a couple of things, and I want you to see where you have experienced shame and what you may have done in response to it. Shame results in hiding. You're going to hide that part of you or whatever you're feeling. You're going to hide our behavior, an aspect of ourselves when we feel shame. So we can't be truly known because we must hide part of ourselves. You know, I, Andy Stanley always talked about how in like his small groups, he would say like, you know, if you put on this front, people, you, you know, people put on a front in groups because if people really knew me, they wouldn't 
like me. And he's like, well, when you put on a front, they don't, actually, they don't like you because they don't really know you. They like what you're putting forward. This idea of being fully known is so important to us. And social media seems to be a place that we like to hide. See, if we put up a pretty enough facade, if we put up enough of a, 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 a framework so that people can look at that, maybe they won't look deeper. Or maybe I can hide behind this facade in my shame and in my guilt. Or I'm going to hide that from my spouse. Or I'm going to hide that from my friends. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not fun to talk about, but this is what we've experienced. And I'll own that right now a lot of our church leaders not in this church, but in the church as a whole in America, have been hiding in their shame, have been hiding things that they haven't shared with other people, and it's coming out now. Now, some have. Some have boldly shared their hidden sin and brokenness, and they've gone through restoration. That does happen, but it is no longer surprising to us when we hear the name of a Christian leader who was big and huge, but then some things came out. Well, there was Carl Lentz or recently Ravi Zacharias. Now, Ravi Zacharias had a much bigger impact on the global church, and he had hidden some of his sin, a lot of his sin. And after his death, it now became public. I believe what happens, and I know what happens because I see it, is that shame caused people like Ravi to hide behaviors that were less damaging, just as sinful, but less damaging and that they were allowed to fester and grow into something darker. And Ravi, he did great harm to women while professing the truth of Christ because he hid his shame. How does this happen? It happens over time. Because if we can't be known, then we cannot reflect God's glory in the way that we could. So what happens after that, after you hide? Shame results in justification justification, excuses, why we are better than uh, other people. While we hide, we build up these systems of justification. I call them self-justification systems. Well, I'm not as bad as that. Or I only lied because they lied first. I deserve this because I'm such a good Christian in other ways. I'm not as greedy as that person. Look how much stuff they have. At least I'm not. Have you heard that? Have you told yourself this? So you feel shame. And so what you do is you go, I don't want to feel that anymore. So I am going to explain why I shouldn't feel that anymore. What often happens is even when people get caught, you can hear that justification come forth. It's easy to see in children where they'll explain away their bad behavior because they did something, right? But uh, we think that we get past that when we're adults in reality. We don't. Ravi Zacharias, when he was abusing, he would tell these women, I deserve this. Over and over again. That was what came out. I deserve this because I work so hard for the Lord. And that feels disgusting, doesn't it? He had justified his behavior so far that he continued to tell the people he was abusing this lie. Hmm. If you thought in your mind, well, at least I'm not as bad as Ravi, you're falling into the same trap he did. This is hard stuff. This is difficult. Our religious practices 
have created a trap for leaders and followers of Jesus. We've forgotten the cross. But before we get there, I want to continue on this line. I want to talk about 1 John 3, 1. Remember it said the reason the world does not know us is because they do not know him. The world does not know truth, the truth of Jesus. There's a third way with shame. Shame results in fabricating new truth. Shame results in fabricating new truth. What do I mean? This is the final step the world takes to the problem of shame. What do I mean? In order to combat shame, we have to create a new truth, not just a justification for why I did my behavior. I need to now change the truth so that I will not feel shame. We stray from God's word and his plan, and we make our own. And this is what we're doing right now in our country and in our churches. Now, we took the thought, removing shame from people. We want to remove shame from people, and we ran with it. This is a good desire. We shouldn't want people to feel shame. And it can seem noble to do everything we can to remove shame from people, because we shouldn't live in shame. No one should hate themselves. No one should feel like they don't belong. Yes? I mean, can we agree that not one person in here wants people to feel pain and humiliation? Can you agree with me that no one in this room wants anyone to feel pain and humiliation? Someone say amen. All right. Thank you. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So how do you not feel shame anymore? Make a new truth. Make a new reality. If something makes you feel wrong, rewrite it. Don't hide. Don't justify anymore. Make it no longer wrong. Then no one will feel shame. Do you see how seductive that is? We do this with power. We do this with the idea of sacrificing anything. We do this with consumerism and we do it with comfort. Not the comfort of God, the Father of love, but the comfort of things and a lack of pain. We rewrite things. But I want to pause and I want to focus in for just a moment and talk about sexuality and gender. We write new truths because there is great pain and suffering for those of us, those of us that are struggling with the body that we have or the sexual desires that we feel. And in our world, especially in our country, these issues have led to shame, fear, discrimination, hatred, increased suicide rates, and loneliness. People are hurting. People are hurting. And many, we have a passion to see the effects of this difficult and hurtful situation change. We don't want people to feel shame. Some of us have approached it from a human perspective. We change the truth, capital T, truth, because we think it's the only way to escape shame. Shame is bad. So we should use our emotionality and our feelings to drive and rewrite and redefine what is true. We forget the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it except God? So we create a new truth about sexual identity and sexual practices in order to overcome shame and the problems that come with it. 
We no longer want to hide. We're tired of justifying our actions, so we fabricate new truth. What does this apply to? (laughs) Everything, especially if we're talking about sexuality. It applies to pornography, to lust, to sex outside of marriage, as well as to gender identity and sexual attraction and all that comes with it, with every single one of us, no matter what or who we identify as. So we bent the scriptures to the point of breaking so that we do not fall under its truth anymore. I may be offending you. I acknowledge that. Please, I beg you to listen to me. My heart hurts. My heart hurts for the shame and fear in our world. To solve the pain of shame, we have abandoned what we've been saved for. The cross is for something. First John 1, 5. Remember I talked about how he talked about God being light. Hang with me here. First John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. There is only one truth, one light. There are no grace, no partiality, no partially lit truth. There is absolute light. God is righteous and holy. Continuing on, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we choose and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. This is our warning as Christians. If we claim to follow Jesus but scuttle back into the darkness, we are liars. The truth is not in us. And finally, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, with him and with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. God shines light into our brokenness and reveals it for what it is, something against his plan. And his light pushes back the darkness. We cannot hide from it. Shame tells us to hide. We cannot hide. Shame tells us to justify. Our justification falls apart under the scrutiny of Almighty God, the creator of all things, who is light. And then our fabricated new truth that we hold up seems like folly. The well-thought-out reasoning of man means nothing in the face of Almighty God. And we can choose to step into this light now, but someday each of us will feel the full weight of its brightness. The only way that this bright light does not result in the feeling of pain and humiliation of shame is that hope and grace came with it. God the Father reveals our shame so that Jesus can remove it. Do you hear this? There's mystery and joy and power in this truth. This is paying a debt. Jesus reveals to us the absolute brokenness of the way we think and feel and act. Why? To draw it out so that he can pay for it. He reveals it so he can pay for it. He reveals it so he can forgive it. He reveals it so we can walk in the light. He reveals it so that we can be whole. Do you understand? 
I want you to understand so deeply what this means. It is absolutely 100% love, mystery, and joy, and power of the cross. The world would look at the truth of God as damaging. The truth of God is ugly. The truth of God is unloving. The concept that you may have heard, love is love is love. It's true if love is defined by humanity and only about the object of our attraction and affections. But love is defined by God not limited by him, not restricted by him, not something to set up against these other things. No, God is love. God isn't merely offering his definition of what is love is so that we can choose either to take his definition or make our own to love however we want. God is love. And we are trying to redefine God when we redefine the truth about sexual practices and actions. This applies to everything we approach from pornography and masturbation to sex between a woman and a woman and a man and a man, and even how we approach sex between a heterosexual married relationship. It applies to all of those things with a set of truth. And when we try to change that, we are trying to change God. We must submit our sexual practices to God. The same with our sexual and gender identities and cultural understandings of gender. All of it has to be submitted to God and his truth. There is a singular truth and we will be illuminated by it soon or later. Listen, there is no answer to shame except the Christ. There is no answer to shame except the Savior. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is communicating his fatherly love to every single person. You are a child of God, no matter what you feel or do, no matter what I feel or do. That's why this symbol means love, because light shines into the darkness and reveals our brokenness, and then Jesus died on the cross to cover it and forgive it and to help us walk in the light, to say, I will reveal it and I will forgive it. I will help you experience pure, true love, awaken you to love. And in this relationship with God, who is love, you will belong. Your shame will melt away. Adults, you need to hear this. Some of us are struggling with these issues. Some of us have been very harsh and hurtful to those who are struggling with these issues. Our children are watching how we love. Show them love and truth, show them grace. Show them loving to other people, not fear, not shame. Show them love. Students, I know that many of you or some of you may be struggling in this season, but some of you are struggling with the view of your body, who you're attracted to, what you do with that attraction. You may be confused, ashamed, or simply angry. I want you to know the only path out of that negative feeling, the negative feelings and shame It's Jesus Christ who accepts you as you are to step into light, to step into community, to step in, to push into him, to fix your eyes on him. We will walk with you. We love you. We want you to feel free to learn and grow and understand the love of God in our community. 
Roger and, and, May, and all the leaders love to love you in the midst of this. The most important thing about you isn't whether you are married or unmarried, male or female or non-binary, gay, straight, lesbian, asexual, or something else. That's not the most important thing about you. The most important thing about me and you is that you are a child of God who wants to hold you, who wants to hold you and wants you to dance with him and not feel shame. He wants to hold you like we try to shelter our children. He wants to shelter you in his wings. 1 John 3, 2, beloved. Beloved. Can't get any farther than that. Agapatoi. Those who are loved by the Father are loved by John. John is saying, I love you. I love you too. I love you. As your pastor, I love you. I love you right where you're at. I love you. And if you're hiding, if you're justifying, or you don't agree with me at all, I love you. It does not define how I feel about you if you agree with me or not. I love you. I must. I get to. Christ empowers me to love you in the state that you are in to love myself and the state I am in for us to love each other. And I'm calling us as a church to stand with grace and truth with the love of God and say, you belong. You belong. If you belong to Christ, you belong to us. And our responsibility is always love. We want you to experience this hope, this joy, as we learn to surrender everything about our identity, not just sexually, but everything about our identity. We are submitting to his word and submitting to him, and we want you to join this. Why? So that we can grow in our understanding and walk in the light to encounter Jesus. This is the transformational reality to experiencing Jesus. So here's my action step for every single one of you. Learn to embrace those who are different than you. And how do you do that? Easiest way, listening. Easiest way, listening. Invite someone you don't know or thinks differently than you in whatever way you want and sit down and listen to their story and listen how God is wooing them to himself. Listen. Second, Encounter Jesus. Encounter Jesus. 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, beloved, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But what we know is that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is a beautiful picture. We want people to belong so they can encounter Jesus. Why? Because when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we change. Look, it says right there, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. As we see Jesus as he is, we are transformed. We are changed. It's a beautiful picture, and we can encounter Jesus every single day, become like him every single day. And we look forward to the end where someday we will be pure, whole, and complete. We are being transformed by the light of Christ a little bit every day. It's coming and will be. 1 John 3, 3, continuing, all who have this hope in him, they purify themselves just as he is pure. He's calling us and giving us the ability to walk into this 
Part of discipleship is learning to embrace our bodies as important aspects of our identity, learning to see them as gifts from God and part of how we bear his image in the world. We must embrace the image of God as he created us to be, an image that includes our bodies as part of our human identity. God will continue to transform our hearts and our minds to better reflect the image of him on the earth. If he reveals when we do not live into that, he will also be willing to restore us to it in community. So here's my action step for you. Dive in. I want you to commit to being here online or in person every Sunday until Easter. A lot of us take Sundays off. And I would encourage you that you're missing opportunities to experience and encounter the creator of the universe who looks at you with love and wants to gather you into his arms, comfort you, and challenge you to grow. And Easter, we'll have three services, 9.30, 11 a.m., and 12.30. Slight change. The 11 a.m. is slightly different than the 11.15. We'll also have a good Friday experience. Finally, this is what the series is about, and this is what I'm going to launch us into, the relentless pursuit of one more. If someone is struggling with shame or fear, the only answer is Jesus. And we cannot hold back the answer from people. We have to guide them. We have to help them encounter Jesus. It's the only answer to the pain that they are experiencing daily. We can't hold back. God helps us find the joy and passion to do that as he helps us embrace our shame and release it in him. We cannot wait. The only answer to fear and shame is our identity and our inheritance as children of God. So here's the action steps. Here's how I want you to do that. We've already started by sharing online. I encourage you to do that every time this week. And we're also going to have postcards. You should have seen those on your seat as you came in. Those you can grab and you can send. I want you to commit right now to at least one person you're going to send a postcard to and you can write a personal note on it as well and just say, hey, I care about you. I want you to encounter Jesus. I want you to come to Easter. You can do that as well. We have masks if you want to. That's an easy way for you to wear it on your face every single day. You can buy those. If you buy one, we will give one away to new people. I encourage you to do that. We have more postcards. But I'm encouraging you, share the light. Share this hope. Share what we can find. Share the hope that you've found. As we finish, like I do, every single time I'm up here, I want to invite people to follow Jesus Christ. You can do that by giving your life to him. You have heard that it is the hope, that it is the future, but it costs something to follow Jesus, and it should. To walk in the light is painful, and it is hard, but it is the most free you will ever feel in your life. If you want to follow Jesus, whether you're online, you're in person, or you're listening later this week, I encourage you to pray with me now, to take this moment to talk to God who is in the room, and to choose to accept this. What is this? That we were broken, that we were far from God, that we could not save ourselves. So Jesus Christ came as a perfect sacrifice, and he died on a cross. He was beaten, he was broken, his life poured out. Why? To pay for your debt. 
to say, I will not let you live in darkness. I will pay everything for you. And then after that, he died and he rose to life. He says, we get new life. That's why a torture device can mean love. You must acknowledge that and then you will become a child of God. You close your eyes. Would you pray with me? There are those who want to make a decision to follow you or recommit their lives to you. They are walking out of darkness into your glorious light. I pray that they would pray this out loud or in their hearts, but they would talk to you knowing you are incredibly close. Say this, God, I am broken. I need a healer. I need a rescuer. I need someone to save me. And Jesus was that person, God and man. He died so that I might have life. And he's revealing in me my brokenness so that he can pay for it. And so today I let him. I give over control. I let him come into my life, guide me and lead me. And I will follow him the rest of my days. Amen. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, welcome to this family. You are a child of God. My prayer is that soon you will dance in his presence without any shame or fear. We want to know about it. Let us know by filling out a Connect card uh, that's in online or in person or coming and talking to us at the end. Let us know you made this decision so we can walk with you in this. Now, it is time for us to celebrate who Jesus is to us. So will you stand with me as we worship and as we thank God? Well, once again, thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed this message. I want to make sure that you know that you can connect with us at any point by going to our Now page, and right at the top, there's a button there that says Connect Card. You can fill that out. Um, you can fill out some information if this message was meaningful to you in any particular way. Maybe you need some prayer. Maybe um, it impacted you in a, in a profound way that is changing you, and maybe you even decided to say yes to following Jesus. And if that's you, uh, we would love for you to let us know. We want to know about it so we can help you walk through this journey no matter where you're at. If you're in the Canton area or beyond, uh, we have a digital way of, of connecting with people as well. So let us know. Um, have a great rest of your day and a great rest of your week. Um, also want to let you know, uh, for those of you who are still listening, we did a podcast with our youth director and talked a lot about the state of youth ministry, and it was overwhelmingly uh, desirable, I guess, downloadable. And so we're going to come back with some more information, more topics on youth ministry, as well as some others on worship and the life journey, which is our discipleship process. So be on the lookout for those. We'll see you soon.